This program is brought to you by PersonalLifeMedia.com. I'm Carrie Strzok, host of Beauty Now. We have a weekly show on everything beauty, anti-aging, lasers, lipo, lifts, and more. Today, we're going to be talking with Dr. John Grossman, a board-certified plastic surgeon, who will talk to us about having surgery abroad, a term known as medical tourism. What value do you place on your life? Uh, and, and certainly, I see patients uh, and hear from my own patients of friends of theirs who've done this sort of thing and have had spectacular results. The problem is, it's not the spectacular results, it's the disasters that we're concerned about. Other than that, um, the, the areas are, are questionable. Um, so we want to know the education and training and certification of the physicians, both anesthesia and, and the surgeon. We want to know the, the level of the facilities. These sorts of things can and do occur even in the United States with the best of plastic surgeons and the best of hospital and outpatient facilities. Complications are part of the, um, the risk that one takes in any surgical procedure, no matter how minor. When somebody says to you, well, I'm a, I'm a dentist, but I'm also a board-certified or a boarded cosmetic surgeon, you really need to um, probably get out of that office fast or ask to see what the qualifications are. Welcome, Dr. Grossman, and thank you for talking with us today. Thank you, Terry. So explain to our Beauty Now listeners about what medical tourism is. Well, that, actually, I, I speak about their, uh, the two aspects of medical tourism. The medical tourism that we want your listeners to be aware of and, and consider very seriously is the uh, price shopping that uh, many Americans consider um, an interesting means of, of having cosmetic surgery, uh, traveling to Russia or the Far East or Mexico and elsewhere for cosmetic surgery at what appears to be a far better price that often includes hotel, not necessarily airfare, but hotel and touring uh, the general area. Um, the problem is that we believe that, that cosmetic surgery is real surgery. That is, it carries with it all of the attendant risks of any operative procedure, and certainly you can't possibly be aware of the um, the level of training, the nature of the facilities, the anesthesia and anesthesiologists in another country where uh, the educational process rules and regulations are far more lax than in the United States. So, you know, you really are putting your life in the hands of a stranger um, who you know virtually nothing about. Right, and you hear more and more today, women, I even saw something on the TV the other day about Africa, that you can go there and have all these different procedures done, and they're saying, oh, it's, you know, you get a vacation and it's a better price, but that's scary. I guess the question is, what what value do you place on your life? Uh, and, and certainly I see patients uh, and hear from 
my own patients of friends of theirs who've done this sort of thing and have had spectacular results. The problem is it's not the spectacular results, it's the disasters that we're concerned about. Um, many years ago, I used to know an ear, nose, and throat doctor who, in, um, who uh, operated and did breast surgery um, and had virtually no qualifications for this. And, and I met patients who said, uh, gee, he operated on me and everything went fine. The problem was I was also seeing five or ten um, for every one good result. I was seeing five or ten disasters. And the same thing is true here. Uh, you know, um, it makes little sense to venture outside of your your normal environment to an, an area where the the surgery is of questionable quality and in, and that includes the hospitalization and the cleanliness and all the rest of it um, I, I guess if the if the answer is having to save for another six months or another year that's uh, I think a far better solution to the potential nightmare that you may face the other right. kind of medical tourism and I alluded to two types is just the reverse you know as the balance of trade and the value of the American dollar has fallen, such that the euro and the Japanese yen are far more valuable, um, we've in, in fact encouraged people from Europe um, and parts of Asia to come to the United States for their cosmetic surgery, where they can uh, in fact count on predictable results in well-trained plastic surgeons at a, an economic rate that is far more affordable for them, too. So we would encourage this kind of reverse medical tourism um, rather than to encourage people to go elsewhere, not just for their cosmetic surgery, but for kidney transplants and, and hip replacements. But what you're really saying is that we really need to do our research on who the doctor is going to be. And then also if you're traveling so far away and there's a complication, who's going to help you? That's right. And, of course, you know, there certainly are insurance policies that one can purchase that provide for medical airlifting were there, there to be a problem. But, but you really you want to anticipate virtually everything. It's very difficult to find out accurately in many of these foreign countries who the surgeon is going to be and the level of training. But beyond that, um, is there anybody or is there an organization that certifies the hospital and operating room facilities? Who are the nurses in these operating rooms? Certainly, who is going to provide anesthesia, the part that can be, um, you know, the potentially li truly life-threatening, immediately fatal event. Um, all of these are pieces of the puzzle that if you seriously want to venture to another part of the country or another part of the world for surgery that you need to know uh, in great depth. Certainly there's just so many risks. Why don't you tell us some of the risks that they, these patients face when they're going to you know, out of the country to get some surgery? Well, the first risk, of course, is the cleanliness of the facility. You know, we hear a lot about um, staph and strep bacteria that, that are very difficult to cure. So there are, uh, you know, all sorts of hosts of bacteria that may not be um, completely sterilized and, and eradicated um, in their sterilizing equipment for their operating room instruments. Um, what kind of anesthesia devices and machines do they have? So those are, that is the equipment piece of this, the kind of facility, uh, any form of certification of those facilities. Number two, the training of all of the staff. Um, uh, if these people are Western trained or they're trained in Europe or in Australia, areas of the world where the training is excellent and, and equivalent to the United States. So if somebody were venturing out of the country and was going to have their, their cosmetic surgery done in Great Britain 
or in France or in Germany in a major hospital facility or in Australia or New Zealand, I would say that they're, uh, they're venturing to an area of the world where the training um, and the quality of facilities is equivalent to ours. And the same is true uh, of many of the South American, in particular Brazilian and Argentinian facilities. Other than that, um, the, the areas are, are questionable. Um, so we want to know the education and training and certification of the physicians, both anesthesia and, and the surgeon. We want to know the, the level of the facilities. Um, uh, beyond that, what exactly is the procedure and technique of the surgeon? It is, is it a standard facelift as performed in the United States, or is it some invention of this particular surgeon? And the same applies to a, the other procedures. When, when implants are going to be used, where are these implants made? Are they, for example, American-made, or are they uh, provided by a, a very large company called Silamed in uh, South America, in Brazil? Those implants would be just fine. On the other hand, if they're implants from some uh, local company, uh, I, I would question the use of those sorts of things. Uh, what's going to happen post-operatively or intraoperatively? Supposing somebody were to have a problem with bleeding or clotting or heart issues and so on, are there, in fact, um, physicians who are qualified to, to deal with these sorts of things? And, and finally, um, who's going to be responsible for the cost of that uh, Additional care is there going to be some form of surcharge? Where do you have a were you to have a complication that required extra time in hospitalization? And then lastly, were you to have a problem that required that you be airlifted back to the United States? How is that going to happen? Is it possible? Is a is there a company that can do that? Who's going to pay for that cost? And where would you be hospitalized? You can't just sort of you know, be, lie, be lying in a bed in some faraway land and say, take me to the Mayo Clinic. It just doesn't happen that way. No, it, this sounds so scary. I mean, really, people really need to investigate. And the only reason I could think of that somebody would want to try to do their surgery abroad was would be to save money. So, obviously, In the end, are you really saving anything? No, you're not saving anything. It's It's all very, very scary. So what would you tell our listeners that, would need financing or they would have to save up for their surgery because I think it's so important for women to be able to get the surgery that they want, but then a lot of women can't afford it, and so they get desperate and go out of Mexico or Singapore or wherever they're going to go. Well, I guess I mean, there are several pieces to this. Uh, firstly, uh, most plastic surgeons um, are uh, acquainted with a variety of, of financing measures that are provided by several of our uh, societies, American Society of Plastic Surgeons and the American Society for Aesthetic Plastic Surgery both have um, organizations or companies that they recommend who do financing. Uh, you, you certainly consider, can consider financing cosmetic surgery on your, on your existing credit card or um, through your bank. But let, let's assume that, that still the amount of money is, is too great and um, saving over a period of several years just it doesn't seem possible there's always something to spend it on you know if it's in your if in in your bank account um, and so you decide to venture abroad well then you really need as you said earlier Terry to do your homework you need to essentially write everything down all of the things that we've addressed today you need to write down in terms of the physicians that are involved their credentials the hospital facilities and so on and you need to do your homework and and uh, 
get all of the information, find out about all of the costs, try to find, get some references, try to find out, uh, if possible, the names of Americans who have done the same thing and, and interview them and, and find out all the pros and cons before you um, leap and make this uh, momentous decision. You know, it's the old story of if it seems too good to be true, it's probably not. Uh, and I was just telling my sister that same thing about a man. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> well, I don't know about a man, but certainly about this. So, uh, you know, it's not necessarily so totally taboo um, if, in fact, you do your homework and you come to the conclusion that, yes, you've found somebody fully qualified, you feel safe and comfortable, you've spoken, you know, that is tele- telecommunications is such and, and computer um, uh, is such that one can be in touch with this proposed physician and speak at length so you also get some level of comfort speaking directly with a person who whose uh, uh, hands you're going to trust to to take good care of you. Um, and if you finally come to the conclusion that it's the right thing, the right person, and you've done your homework, then, then best of luck. Well, this is all really useful, great information, and we're going to be having to take a break real quick, and we're going to be right back with Dr. John Grossman telling us about what to do and what not to do if you're looking into surgery abroad. Listen to Living Dialogues, thought leaders in transforming ourselves and our global community with Duncan Campbell, visionary conversationalist, bringing you the best in new paradigm thinking on personallifemedia.com. I'm Terry Struck, host of Beauty Now, and we've been talking with Dr. John Grossman about having surgery abroad. Welcome back, Dr. Grossman, and thanks for talking with us. Thank you, Terry. So we were just talking about researching the different doctors, if you were going to consider this type of surgery abroad and all the different risks involved, and it seems like it's a lot of risk. Well, it is, but uh, I mean, I, I, I think that it is not out of the realm of possibility that you will, once you've done all of your homework and you've written everything down, um, that you come to the conclusion that perhaps surgery abroad does suit you and it, and it suits your pocketbook. But you need to really need to make sure that you've, you've done it completely and you've not done it through rose-colored glasses. That is, you've not tried to pad it or, or assume the best. I think that in all of these things, you have to assume the worst. Um, and what would you do under the worst circumstances? What would be uh, 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 your direction in terms of if you had a serious complication of any sort, not just a surgical complication, but, but uh, God forbid, a pulmonary embolus, a clot that traveled to your lung, or a heart problem, or any of these sorts of things, or a dreadful infection. Uh, you need to be prepared to deal with those sorts of things because, you know, these sorts of things can and do occur even in the United States with the best of plastic surgeons and the best of hospital and outpatient facilities, complications are part of the um, the risk that one takes in any surgical procedure, no matter how minor. The problem, of course, is that we have over the years, as we've become more and more educated about cosmetic surgery, um, we've relied on and or been willing to trust a lot of uh, fluff and advertising that suggests that cosmetic surgery is little more than going to the beauty salon. And that, unfortunately, is very far from the truth. 
uh, cosmetic surgery is serious. It's real surgery. People die um, and, or have dreadful complications from cosmetic surgery done well. And so if, if cosmetic surgery done well in predictable facility, those done in places that you have very little control over and very little knowledge about is even a greater risk. So you, you need to do all of the serious homework. You certainly, you know, you probably wouldn't hire an electrician or a plumber without checking their references and making sure that they uh, uh, could do the work well. Why would you trust your health care to uh, somebody who, either doesn't or barely speaks your own language and who you know nothing about. Right, and I've also read where they're even trying to approve dentists doing breast augmentations. And I know that dentists are really smart guys, but I actually really want my dentist to do my teeth, not my breast augmentation. That's exactly right. And, you know, isn't it bizarre that that here again, um, nobody would consider asking an electrician to do your plumbing, um, but you're willing to ask a, a dentist um, or a gynecologist to do your cosmetic surgery just because they say that they recently took a two-day course in Boca Raton on how to do this. I mean, that it's, it's so the most ridiculous... Please expand on that. Please expand, Dr. Grossman, on that because I really think it's important, and I try to stress this in a lot of the shows, that... Even if you're going to do your surgery here, please, I mean, even if it's a doctor, you need to find out what kind of doctor. You know, the the problem, of course, is that medical licensing is still rooted in the 19th century. That is to say the license that we as physicians get from the uh, is from the state in which we reside or the state in which we want to practice. And it's a generic license that says license to practice medicine and surgery. And that's because um, in the true old days, the old doc actually did everything. That is, he, he delivered babies and he repaired sutured lacerations. He took care of your pneumonia uh, and so forth. Um, but nowadays, medicine is far more complex than it was in the 19th century. And, and it's much too much information for any single physician to know everything and certainly be qualified and able to do everything. And so we, in fact, over, over the course of several um, hundreds of years, we developed um, boards, that is, um, organizations in each area and each specialty of medicine and surgery um, uh, that uh, oversees the training, uh, education, and general qualifications of people in particular areas. And so whether it's internal medicine, which is its own specialty, or emergency medicine, or dermatology, or pathology, radiology, cardiology, obstetrics, and gynecology, Similarly, there is, in fact, training and a board in plastic surgery. So when somebody says to you, well, I'm a, I'm a dentist, but I'm also a board-certified or a boarded cosmetic surgeon, you really need to um, probably get out of that office fast or ask to see what the qualifications are because, in reality, there is only one board, the American Board of Plastic Surgery, that is certified to say that a physician is, in fact, trained in plastic surgery. There is no board of cosmetic surgery. Um, uh, And so the fact uh, that your dermatologist who previously took care of your acne now wants to do liposuction is is totally inappropriate. It's legal, but it's inappropriate. Um, And and the fact that it's legal is uh, a... Uh, travesty, of, unfortunately, of the licensing process. In reality, in 2007, the licensing of physicians should probably be on a national basis done in Washington um, for all states and should be based on your training, not on, on the course you just took in some 
lovely resort for two days. Right, and that's the thing that I stress is you can take a course for two days and get a certificate for cosmetic surgery in a certain procedure, and I don't think that women really understand that because they're like, no, he's a cosmetic surgeon. I had one friend who wanted to get a brow lift, and she told me that the one doctor didn't believe in the endoscopic procedure, and I said, well, would you actually research to see if he's even able to do it? And it turned out that he was like an internist or something that had gone and got cosmetic surgery and was going to slice her forehead open. And I said, please don't go to him. I don't care who you go to, but make sure they're board certified in plastic and reconstructive surgery. Yeah, I mean, it's really a situation of buyer beware. And again, what I would tell your listeners is um, there are a number of means of determining whether your your prospective plastic surgeon is, in fact, a board certified plastic surgeon, and that is to contact either the American Society of Plastic Surgeons um, and you, if one goes on the internet, well, one would find that it is under plasticsurgery.org or the American Society for Aesthetic Plastic Surgery, and that um, that URL is surgery.org. Um, or if one were to go to your local um, uh, hospital's medical library, there is a compendium, a seven or eight volume compendium um, entitled. Uh, the American Board of Medical Specialties, and if you look under in in these volumes, there will be a listing a section for plastic and reconstructive surgery, and listed alphabetically is all every single board certified plastic surgeon. If your if your surgeon or prospective surgeon's name is not listed there, again, you need to leave. Right, exactly. That's really good advice. What's your favorite procedure to do? I have a number of favorites. Um, uh, I enjoy very much doing uh, breast enlargements and breast lifts. I enjoy very much doing facelifts, and perhaps among the most interesting and challenging is rhinoplasty. Um, but you know, I also love tummy tucks. So I, I, I'm glad that as a what I refer to as a real plastic surgeon, that is, right. I, I do all of the procedures. Uh, I don't do any reconstructive surgery any longer because, again, I believe that if you do aesthetic surgery, it needs to be what you do only uh, if you're really going to be proficient at, at that. Um, so I, I enjoy operating around the face as well as around the body. You know, and you made a really good point earlier on the show, which was that you don't know the technique of the surgeon if you're going to have a facelift. I can just tell you if anybody's going to work on my face, I would want to make sure that your face is going to look normal after a procedure like that, especially where you're spending money and you're going to look like that for the rest of your life. That's that's where I say you save up your money, get it done right. I agree. Really, I mean, that was really, really good point. I mean, I, there's no way that you want to save money when you're dealing with your face, and that's if you're going to do something for cosmetic vanity, really, then make sure it's done right. You want yeah, I mean, to look your best. That's right. There, you know, there certainly are are often shortcuts, um, but shortcuts that are efficient, Not that is not try to skirt around the basic um, and primary requirements of a surgical procedure like a facelift, for example. I mean, that is, um, uh, you you need to uh, understand the, the normal anatomy of the face. You need to understand the process of aging. The process of aging in the face involves not only relaxation of skin and underlying um, structures, but also the 
the, the face deflates like so many other areas of the body. We begin to lose the natural fatty contours. And so if, in fact, you're going to plan to undertake a, um, a reversal of the aging process, you need to understand um, what the aging has done in a particular individual's face. It's worthwhile seeing photographs of that patient um, of uh, previous years when they had a more youthful appearance because, as you were saying, you, you want them to, unless there's a reason to change their appearance, you want them to look like themselves. You want to try to restore them to where they were in earlier days as opposed to make them look like an entirely different individual. And, you know, that's often the misconception of patients who will say to me, no, doctor, um, uh, when you do this, I'm going to look like myself, aren't I? And, and of course, the reassurance is that's the plan. That is, unless there were a reason to make to change your appearance, whether it's altering your nose, uh, filling in the areas of, of cheeks that have um, never had full contours, or enlarging the chin, and so forth, we want you to look very much like the person that you were, um, t- you know, 10, 20, or 30 years ago, not like somebody different, so that when you walk in the door, your family dog bites you since he doesn't recognize you. Right, and especially the nose. I think that you brought up a good point, too, again, is that rhinoplasty is very difficult even for plastic surgeons to do, so you really need to see before and afters of the nose. Absolutely, and, you know, just when one often thinks, gee, well, I'm just going to have my nose uh, redone, that's not going to change my appearance. That, in fact, is totally incorrect. A rhinoplasty can in many dramatic ways change the uh, appearance of the face, usually for the better. That is, it really is the cornerstone, the center of the face, and creates balance and symmetry. Uh, And it's not unusual to see uh, either a young man or a young woman who has a very ordinary or not terribly attractive face and with a new, newly reshaped nose is absolutely delightful looking. Um, and, and, and it can be a disaster. Conversely, it can be a disaster Absolutely. if you go to the wrong person. I Absolutely. know this really attractive person who just had, you know, like six or seven nose jobs, and it's still horrible. It's so sad because they didn't go to a qualified surgeon. Well, and that's right. And, you know, in, in, in rhinoplasty in particular, we often say to patients that the, the ideal time to get the result that you want is the first operation. And every operation after that, you are less and less likely to end up with the nose that you desired. So uh, here again, you know, that is if it's not right the first time and you're going to embark on a second or, or even a third operation on the nose, um, you need to be very clear with, with the surgeon exactly what his expectations and yours are and what's reasonable because it's not just not going to be possible to go um, uh, for the third operation on that nose and end up with the ideal nose that you originally planned on. I think you need to temporize your expectations. That's such a great point. We'll have to have you back because we're running out of time and I would love to talk more about rhinoplasty well, that'll be our next subject. Then. That'll be our next subject when we have you back. Thank you so much for talking with us today. You're so welcome. Dr. Perry. John Grossman, and you can go to personallifemedia.com, and we will link Dr. Grossman's website to our website, and you'll be able to get a consultation with him. He has offices in Denver and Beverly Hills. Thank you again, and I hope to talk to you soon. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Find more great shows like this on personallifemedia.com. <laughs>